This is a content warning for mentions of suicide, self-harm, mental illness, and sexual assault. If discussion of these issues is painful or difficult for you, this episode may be triggering. Hello, and welcome to A Blight on the Hill. This podcast is brought to you by the Tufts Daily, Tufts University's independent student newspaper since 1980. I'm Hannah Kahn, former opinion editor. And I'm Liam Knox, former investigative editor. This is part two of our first episode, which takes a look at problems with mental health leave and accommodations at Tufts and at universities across the country. Last time, we spoke with Chris Paulino, a Tufts senior who shared their story of mental health leave and forced hospitalization. They talked about their concerns regarding the way Tufts deals with students' mental illness and why their leave exacerbated their struggles rather than helped alleviate them. We also had a very informative discussion with Maura Klugman, an attorney at the Bazelon Center for Mental Health Law, about students' rights and how universities often discriminate against students with mental illness. In this segment, we will explore the ways in which Tufts specifically makes it difficult for students with mental illness to thrive on campus. We'll hear from Olivia Carl, who has yet to graduate after taking three separate personal leaves of absence due to mental health issues and trauma she experienced here. We'll also look at some of the data and information we got from Tufts Counseling and Mental Health Services, which shed some light on their role in the process of determining student need for mental health leave, and give us an idea of how many Tufts students are struggling with thoughts of suicide and self-harm. In addition, we'll share some of the submissions we received in our online forum from other students, whose stories display a wider range of experiences with university administrators around their mental health. We reached out to Counseling and Mental Health Services, or CMHS, to try and get a clearer picture of how this process looks from their end. Julie Ross, staff psychologist and director of CMHS, told us that they don't often recommend medical leave to students struggling with their mental health. However, they do not ultimately decide who takes medical leave and who doesn't. The dean's office does. Ross said they play a, quote, consultative role to the dean's office when interpretation of clinical or medical documentation is needed. Because of this sort of secondary role, and the fact that some students who take leave may never have been to Tufts Counseling, CMHS does not have the exact numbers on students taking medical leave for mental health. However, Ross did share that CMHS sees around 25% of students on the Medford, Somerville, and Fenway campuses each year. About 30% of those students come in with thoughts of suicide. So one takeaway from this is that the process is really dictated by higher-up administrators rather than counselors, which just points to how bureaucratic and even impersonal it can become. And looking at this data, it's also worth considering the impact that the culture at Tufts, and by extension other selective universities, might have on students' mental health. If 30% of approximately 1,500 students come to CMHS with thoughts of suicide, and we must assume that there are some students who don't express these thoughts to university employees, that's an alarming statistic. What, if anything, does that say about the environment perpetuated on this campus? A few weeks ago, Liam and I took to Facebook to share a forum asking tough students and alumni to share their experiences with mental health leave. One of the responses we got was from a student, Quinn, who has to be identified by her first name only. I'm going to read it here. It's not only a poignant story on its own, but sheds light on the impact of specific circumstances that make taking mental health leave even more difficult for some students, such as financial constraints or international student status. 
In her own words, this is Quinn's experience. I had an incident involving some medication that ended up with me being hospitalized. The hospital then transferred me to a center for adolescents with mental health disorders for two weeks. When I got out, I was told to see the Director of Counseling and Mental Health Services for an evaluation so they could determine the best follow-up option for me, whether that be staying at school or taking medical leave. As an international student without parents who could come over in the blink of an eye, I was allowed little to no autonomy during my hospitalization, which made me wary of my talk with the Director of CMHS. However, as I came from a country with close to no support for people struggling with mental health, I told myself that I should trust the director to make a reasonable decision about my mental health care. At least I would be getting some help, as opposed to being shunned if I had fallen into this situation back in my home country. During the talk, I made sure to emphasize the nature of my illness as psychiatrists had explained to me during my inpatient stay, that suicidal ideation and self-harm occurred as a result of my mood changes, which were chronic and would be best managed with continued counseling and possibly medication. I also talked about the fact that if I were to take medical leave, my family would not be financially equipped to get me treatment in the U.S., and I would have to return home, where the chances of effective treatment are low. I suggested that it would be a good idea to have me remain at school, but begin intensive counseling. I'd even taken the initiative to meet with a psychologist who had agreed to help me, and the service was covered under my insurance plan. I left that meeting feeling confident that CMHS would agree with me. On the contrary, a few days afterwards, I was told that CMHS had informed my dean that I was a danger to myself and others and should take indefinite medical leave. Of course, I panicked. Medical leave meant that I would return to a place that would be even worse for my mental health and would eliminate any chances of me returning to school. CMHS had said that they would deal with all mental health situations on a case-by-case basis, but I felt that they had either lumped me with a group of students who might be better able to afford treatment or that they were simply looking out for their best interests by not having me around at all. Instead of offering help or at least pointing me to affordable means of external support, they were shutting the door on me. Fortunately, my dean was very understanding and allowed me to go through an appeal process where I could explain my condition better and prove that I was able to stay in school. I included my psychologist's recommendations in the appeal and by some miracle, ended up being able to stay. But I know many others are sent on medical leave under unfavorable circumstances and are unable to appeal. I truly hope that Tufts will work toward devising a true case-by-case process of evaluating students, which takes into account a student's financial capabilities, their family's attitude towards mental health, accessibility to mental health services at home, and many more factors so that students are able to enjoy their education without having to hide mental health struggles for fear of being sent away. One of the most troubling parts of Quinn's story is that Tufts did not take into account either her financial needs or her concerns about the lack of resources to help her back home. Though the university cited student safety, including Quinn's own, as the reason for their initial decision, they clearly didn't feel they needed to ensure she would be in a supportive environment with access to care after leaving campus. Once she was on leave, that would be her problem. Another interesting part of Quinn's story, though, is that her academic dean took it upon themselves to help her appeal the administrative decision. It's important to note that even though there are systemic failings at Tufts and other institutions, there are individual actors working to help. Our next guest, Olivia Carl, thanks Nandi Bino, then sexual misconduct resource specialist and current assistant dean of student affairs, 
for being a pivotal resource and outlet during her time at Tufts. She remembered a professor who is no longer here, but who totally restructured her classroom to make it more inclusive. Another response from an anonymous Tufts student credited his dean, Carol Baffy Dugan, for possibly saving his life. We made this point last episode, but we'd like to reiterate that the purpose of this podcast isn't to say that every single Tufts employee is some sort of heartless monster trying to make students' lives miserable. Many faculty members, like those four university employees, work to enhance our experience at Tufts by treating us like humans in a school that treats us like units. Their efforts to accommodate valid individual needs shouldn't be notable, but they are. Tufts, in its efforts to compete with the stringent work cultures of other schools, essentially in order to make money, has made this kind of compassion an anomaly. Additionally, we want to say that the issues with Tufts' handling of mental illness, while serious, should by no means discourage you from seeking help if you need it. If you're struggling with mental illness or are having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, tell somebody. Talk about it. With a friend, an off-campus counselor, a trusted professor, a family member, someone you can rely on. There are people who care, even if systems don't. And the institutional problems we're discussing shouldn't keep you from confiding in them. Up next is an interview with Olivia Carl, who traveled all the way from her home in Maine to speak with us. Olivia matriculated in 2013, but has yet to graduate after taking multiple leaves of absence, which she'll talk about in more detail. She's an English major and is currently enjoying her newfound time outside of Tufts by painting, knitting, and hiking. Okay, so if you want to start talking about just your timeline at Tufts, you got here in 2013, and then what time did you spend here after that? Um, So, yeah, it gets a little bit complicated, actually, so I... Um, spent all of freshman year and sophomore year at Tufts and then at the end of my sophomore year I decided I wanted to um, hike the Appalachian Trail so I ended up taking the fall semester off um, the year after that. I went back that winter and spring I guess for the spring semester and realized that I was really struggling again being at Tufts, so I took the full next year off <laughs> and did my own thing. And then I came back last year for both semesters. And this semester, I am living in Maine. I'm not at Tufts. So you took personal leave to hike the Appalachian mm-hmm. Trail, but from what I understand, it's a little more complicated than right. that. In um, <laughs> as much or as little detail as you would like. Um, could you just go into that a bit? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I had experienced um, quite a bit of sexual violence um, here at Tufts, and there was no way for me to really heal from that trauma um, while being at Tufts, and I think that's something that I had started to realize um, through my sophomore year, and I realized that there wasn't really that institutional support, so I kind of hightailed it out of here and went for a long hike. <laughs> a lot of the work that I was doing my first two years at Tufts was heavy anti-sexual violence activism. And I, you know, was working all the time with administrators here, um, usually pretty high level. 
And I always left meetings feeling extraordinarily re-traumatized and not having the space to process that or heal from that, but feeling compelled to like continue fighting because there wasn't really anything um, else to do. And so I, I just, I knew that there wasn't that um, support. There was also the fact that, you know, having gone to um, CMHS, I, you know, was of course told, oh, you have to leave after this certain amount of time, we'll like find somewhere else for you to go. And um, so I, you know, did find someone else in um, Cambridge and then she, she um, moved me to Back Bay, but it was so difficult to get there. Um, and I wasn't about to take like an hour ride on the T and then an hour ride back just to, you know, see a therapist. So I, you know, sophomore year was trying to um, get the school to let me have my car on campus so that I could actually drive back and forth and like save some time. And they eventually did allow me to have my car on campus, but they only let me park um, in the, the lot by the gym. And I lived, you know, far enough away that that made it even more difficult. And, you know, I was in such a fragile, like, state at that point. It was like anything... Um, anything was too much. Um, so I, you know, they eventually let me park like right by hillsides. Um, but I had to, that was like a month long, like months long um, process just wow. to navigate that. Is there a reason why um, you took a personal leave to hike the Appalachian Trail rather than a medical leave? There is. So I... Um, had read a Tufts Daily article that had some students talking about their decisions to take medical leave and the procedures that they had to go through in order to come back on campus or um, even just to, I think, like, you know, exist <laughs> more fully on this campus. They were really concerning to me. I um, didn't want an administrator to have control over my decisions about when I needed to do things and when I was supposedly um, ready to be, be back on campus or not. And I wanted to have as much autonomy over my healing and mental, mental illnesses as I could. What about your living situation? Was that something that you tried to change? Yeah, um, I think, like I had, you know, so I had been told um, my freshman year that I could like move out of my dorm because you know a person who had hurt me was living in the same dorm and I I was you know kind of opposed to that I said why would why should I move um if I'm not the person who did anything and I um felt that you know this person should move and that I shouldn't have to jump through all these hoops just to um work that out it's not you know punishment it's just <laughs> a safety issue it's a you know, that was difficult, so I was living in a, a place um, my freshman year that was just every day felt extraordinarily unsafe and very um, traumatizing to be in. And my sophomore year, I had somewhat of a, a similar situation with someone else who I did not feel um, safe around, and I kind of just remained in that place. And so by the end of that time, it was, it was just about time to leave. <laughs>
Um, one of the things about mental health leave that we're interested in mm. interrogating is uh, what it sort of says about the way that the university sort of takes a step back and acts with a kind of cold bureaucratic hand mm. when they're afraid of something coming around and biting them in the butt. Right. Um, <laughs> to, to what extent do you think your experience was reflective of these prerogatives? I think, um, you know, I was at a certain point um, sort of a high-profile activist, so I think um, that definitely had a role to play in, like, um, how I was treated. And while it was certainly my decision to leave, I think um, sort of this idea that, like, oh, we can't handle people's trauma, even if, you know, th this culture and, like, what we've created um, with in this school is, you know, in large part, like, responsible for um, so many traumas and so much violence. You talked about interactions with administrators a little bit. Would you mind going at all into any more detail about anything that might have made you uncomfortable? You don't have to name names. I certainly wouldn't be opposed to naming names. Um, but I absolutely understand if you want to omit them. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, honestly, there it's just there are so many Um it's it's I guess it's harder for me to like conjure up positive interactions with administrators um, <laughs> here at Tufts. I it almost feels like it's just like a wave of like um, like awfulness um, that I'm remembering. Like I, I can't remember like specific things necessarily. Um, the only thing that ever really helped me was having um, Nandi Bino um, as a resource, and I could reach out and say, hey, I need academic accommodations for, like, this essay, or, like, I can't turn it in right now, I'm having a panic attack, or I'm really traumatized right now, or re-traumatized, um, but that's that's really the only um, positive thing that I've seen come out of, um, you know, what's been done, and certainly that's my opinion, but... Which is a, an yeah. individual's responsibility yes. and not a structural thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, honestly, most of the people at the school kind of, you know, especially in the higher-up administration, um, knew where I was at and knew what I was struggling with and so many other students were struggling with and um, probably watched us um, deal with a lot of pain. And I don't think, you know, that was ever really, um, <laughs> I don't know, um, even appreciated, understood. Um, I think, you know, we're certainly not the only ones that's, um, you know, that's happened to at this school. So why do you think that was? Yeah, so this is where I, I guess I get into my um, conversation about hierarchies and um, the, the systems um, that Tufts is a part of. I think um, this school, like, really cares about um, because because of you know also because of capitalism and other systems that you know serves but really really cares about um, you know the making money and um, getting the prestige to make more money um, having a really clean positive image um, and to do a lot of that like you have to have these really um, intense hierarchies and have a very intense um, kind of ruthless um, like academic setting and social setting. To what extent do you feel like while you were here you were treated like more than a than a customer? 
that had to be assuaged, mm-hmm. but with like leave, right. um, with accommodation. Mm-hmm. You, did you feel like your humanity was being regarded as something that needed <laughs> to be valued, or did you feel like they were trying to deal with a, uh, you know, like with with like a, a unit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think for a long time I felt like a unit here. Um, I think, yeah, I honestly, um, feel as though this place dehumanizes so many people. I did have, like, a few professors who were willing to sit down and listen, um, but often ended up feeling like I had to share my trauma before anyone would actually think that my needs were valid, and I... You know, no one should have to do that. How many leaves of absence did you take? Yeah, um, <laughs> I took one, two, th- I think three. So they were all first one semester at a time? Yes. Were they all personal leaves? They were all personal leaves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every time I um, took those leaves, it was because I felt myself sort of slipping back into, um, you know, like, and I'm going to talk about suicidality for a second, but, like, slipping back into that um, or, like, getting close to that, and I knew that I couldn't keep being here um, because I had been very, very suicidal my um, sophomore year, basically the entirety of it. So, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, it's, like, a horrible baseline to have, but it was, like, I, you know, I always knew going back into Tufts every every time I was here that it would be um, terrible for me and that it would be a... Um, really difficult time um, because it was going to be re-traumatizing in so many ways, like whether it was like classroom readings, um, you know, with no trigger warnings or, you know, just this this whole environment, um, the pressure that's put on all of us. But I, you know, my limits have definitely been reached over and over again. I mean, I think the word suicide is a word that Tufts is very afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you feel vindicated in your choice to take personal leaves instead of leaves based on this feeling that you had after, I mean, I don't know if you've read about these problems at other colleges, about the students at Princeton and other mm-hmm. state schools that were basically kicked out for expressing these feelings or were hospitalized against their will mm-hmm. and then were told that they weren't allowed to return. Yeah. Um, did you worry that any of this would happen at Tufts? Um, I think, honestly, I think just like as a person with mental illnesses um, in general, that's a fear. I've seen stuff like that um, happen to other people. And I think, you know, I had um, known about like Wagatwe's story. Um, Some background. In 2008, former Tufts student Wagatwe Wajnuki reported to university authorities that she had been raped by a fellow student. Tufts did nothing. The next year, former Dean of Student Affairs Bruce Reitman told her she would have to withdraw after two semesters of poor academic performance due to the trauma she had continued to endure here. Since then, she's become a powerful voice for survivors at colleges across the nation, and ironically, was even nominated for an honorary degree at Tufts in 2014 for her activism. So all of that was definitely very much like um, you have to tread very carefully. And unfortunately, you can't always explicitly say um, what you're struggling with because people will um, find ways to um, do violence to you because of that. Another thing I want to mention uh, that we were talking about before we started recording was how you felt like mental health is 
talked about it to have someone treated it to have set mental health services versus you know mental illnesses right that sort of difference in the way the university handles those two framings right sort of. so I I do think that mental health is something that you know people talk about here all the time right but that's always kind of a surface level like oh, don't get super stressed out when you're about your next exam, which is like, you know, okay, that's way too individualistic and maybe the school should restructure itself. But anyway, um, and uh, so I think, you know, that that kind of um, dialogue and and, um, is so harmful because it's it's delegitimizing like the very real struggles that so many students here have. Not to say that, you know, that stress isn't um, real as well, but like, Getting a little stressed out for like two hours um, about an upcoming exam is not the same as, wow, I don't even think I can take this exam, or wow, I can't even um, write this essay anymore because I'm, I have so much anxiety um, that I can't even like form words, um, which has been my personal experience often. And that is not in the sort of tough dialogue at all. No. <laughs> I also think that words like stress and mental health and self-care, right. as someone else who, who has pretty severe anxiety, mm-hmm. are words that uh, seem to obfuscate the real issues that the structure of an institution like Tufts actually inflicts, exactly. inflicts upon and, and exacerbates within those of us who do struggle with mental illness. Right. It's not necessarily a an unconscious failure, but rather a, a an, an intentional reframing mm-hmm. by the institution itself to shift the language away from from being too serious right. on a, on a public <laughs> front. And I wanted to see yeah. what you thought about um, how that affects the way that that students can support each other and can even and the stigmas around mm-hmm. actually talking about these things because people right. will talk about oh there shouldn't be stigma you should talk right. about mental health you should talk about your stresses you should mm-hmm. talk about you should go seek help if you need it which is good right. advice right. but when even the language itself is careful mm-hmm. um, because of of the these different priorities that the university right. has what do you think is the effect of that on being able to to interact with other students and yeah. form community around these things? Um, I mean, I think it has a huge effect on that. I think using that language is an attempt to erase things that are um, very serious that people deal with every day. You know, again, like we'll talk about stress, but not about your panic attacks. You know, so then if someone does start saying, oh, you know, I really, really struggle with this. Like this is um, really a part of my life then that's suddenly deemed um, excessive or like you're, you're too much. Like your experiences, um, your trauma, your mental illnesses, whatever, are just too much for people to handle because what's acceptable is what is in the language that people are using. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because we see that, you know, there has been a certain level of stress and mental health problems that are accepted at universities that we can talk about because of the way sort of we expect private, competitive um, mm-hmm. universities to be. That's okay to be out there, which is already a problem. But the fact that there is a cap on how mm-hmm. serious they can right. be or how serious they can be, you know, to be talked about publicly is so harmful 
there, there's a line that they, they feel like they tow between it being almost beneficial to their image. Right. Yes, our students are very stressed. Of it's course. a hard school. <laughs> yeah. It is a very hard school to get into. We're an elite university. We're an elite yes. university. It's no, it's no cakewalk here. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's that line that you have to tow between that and, um, yeah, the way we do things here causes a lot of trauma and pain for students who struggle to actually keep up with the demands right. of, of an environment like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would just like to say, I don't think that anyone should really be um, doing this level of work, not having, you know, I don't know, things like positive social interactions. Um, time for creative outlets like art. Yes. Time in the sunlight. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> just so yeah. everyone knows we are in the basement right now. <laughs> On a Friday, and there are a lot of people down here with us. And it is a, it is a beautiful day outside. Yes. What do you think Tuff should do going forward? Let's say, you know, there's another student in your shoes. What? How should the university go about helping that student? Uh, there are so many things. Um... So, I mean, I know I talked about these larger systems, and I don't think that, like, people will be able to truly heal unless, I mean, frankly, like, you know, we deal with larger things like dismantling capitalism and, um, you know, white supremacy and the patriarchy. But um, for more immediate um, <laughs> steps, um, I think, um, you know, for starters, like, actually have... Um, a whole like smorgasbord of mental health resources for students um, as opposed to you know a few very overworked counselors as an option that's kind of ridiculous um, especially with the you know the resources that this school has for other things um, and so that's that's a big one um, Tufts has to really look at all of its frameworks um, less from this legal monetary standpoint but from a community standpoint I remember doing research on like what would it take for me to actually get sort of like codified accommodations at Tufts which would mean that I probably have to speak to a um, psychologist and have them you know validate my mental illnesses and then provide that information to Tufts so that I can get really simple things like maybe extra time on writing essays or, you know, whatever it is. And I remember looking at the list of academic accommodations that the school um, will provide, and they're so minor, um, and they're not actually really doing anything. Um, so things like that where it's like um, worrying less about like, oh, is this student, you know, going to be um, doing the same level of work as everyone else and more about um, how do we understand, you know, things as simple as, like, people's learning differences or, you know, like, um, actually work to be inclusive of um, people's disabilities. And I wish it were different. And I totally think it could be if, you know, there weren't these strict, rigid um, understandings of like what a good student is or you know which are super ableist and very exclusive and um, 
and really just um, broaden the understanding of you know what learning is and like um, they they can use that those requests for accommodation mm -hmm. uh, as repeated sort of quote unquote admissions that you're not ready to be here right or right? that I that I never never could be here or yeah. that I'm not good enough to be here or, you or know. that you're not in the right place right, right. Now. yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah. That you're not in the right place to be the kind of unit that they want right. to produce and send out in the world yeah. with this degree attached to their name. Yeah, exactly. What about the like uh, uh, um, the process of, of trying to... You said that you didn't have conversations with a lot of people about right. it. I know some people who did have those conversations mm -hmm. and found it extremely hard to come back, mm -hmm. etc. Um, or who found like the whole process like extremely pressurized and oh. just adding to their stresses. Yeah. And um, I wanted to know just like one more time what like your, your kind of your thoughts about that process are and what it has to do with not just Tufts but with private universities like Tufts yeah. sort of in general. I know that's big so yeah. if you want to take some time. <laughs> well I think um, yeah like I think in terms of um, what, I, what I perceive to be these, these measurements or like always being required to have documentation or like proof or you know whatever it is um, of disability I think that's just like I mean I'll take it to a, a larger scale of like um, our society in general um, that's just like rooted in the ableism in our society where you um, you just aren't allowed to have you know disabilities like it's just not a thing that you're allowed to have um, or if you do then um, you know, you're viewed in so many ways, um, you know, almost all of them pathologizing or, um, you know, dehumanizing and not just as a human being. Um, that whole um, sort of these processes where you're requiring people who are, like, different in some way to prove that they're different, to jump through more hoops because they're different, um, it's just so ridiculous and that is discrimination. With personal leave, I could just go online and like click a button and say, I'm not coming to, back to campus next semester. I think it should be that way for um, medical leave. I think um, it comes down to um, viewing your students that you work with as human beings or caring more about, you know, wanting them to conform to your ideals for your classroom structure or you know your grading or whatever it is um you know I I definitely like did feel compelled to tell um multiple professors that I had experienced sexual violence um because I didn't think that they would like give me more time to work on my essays if I didn't say here's what I'm really struggling with because, and it shouldn't be, that you know, it shouldn't be like, oh, you have to go through th something super traumatic to, like, you know, get extra time for your work. Mm -hmm. That's kind of ridiculous. And I think, like, sort of having this really negative interaction with um, my new Alpha Dean, um, it, you know, there were no questions in there like, oh, um, you know, what are you dealing with? Like, is there anything I can help you with? Like, why have you been struggling so much academically or why do you have all these incompletes or like maybe I should you know talk to you about that and we can like figure something out it was just like you have all these incompletes what are you going to do about it 
like, why are you going to, you know, tackle another incomplete? And it was like, well, like, <laughs> because I can't do the work right now. Or, you know, um, but that was never... Um, the end goal yeah. was never recovery. Yeah. It no. was being able to do this work that you exactly were expected to do here. Yeah, that's that's been most of the conversations I've had with people. Is um, you know what really matters is that you know I finish these incompletes in a timely manner, or that you know I'm doing my classwork. Um, it doesn't matter whether or not that's really painful for me to do or that's like almost impossible for me to do at the, any given time or, you know. Um, so, yeah, the priorities are very, very skewed. And, it, you know, I think to me it's like, um, you know, the first thing that that should be popping up in people's minds when, you know, they're, they're looking at a student who is struggling for whatever reason is like, oh, you know, they're a human being. Um, maybe there's something going on. Did, did you feel like the university wanted to know what was going on with you? Um, I don't think this university really wants to know about any of its students' struggles. <laughs> um, and, you know, maybe some individuals um, differ from that, but I think for the most part it's kind of a place where um, you're not supposed to struggle. Olivia, thank you very, very much for Thank being so you. candid and, and sharing your, your insight and your experience with us. Yeah, well, thank you both. Of course. In just the week since part one of this episode came out, we've received a good number of messages from students and alumni who say their experiences dealing with CMHS and administration to accommodate or treat their mental health issues have been really unpleasant and stressful. Even though there's no pending lawsuit or national media attention, like at Stanford and Yale, this is clearly a big issue at Tufts as well. But this shouldn't be that surprising, since for all its rhetoric about community, Tufts shares the structural priorities of schools that have faced bigger backlash. At the end of the day, a cold, bureaucratic proceduralism underwrites how the institution deals with student hardship, an alienating and self-protecting mode of operation that stems from the university's primary incentive, protect our public image, and thus our bottom line. Clearly, the root causes of Tufts and other universities' inability to compassionately address students' mental health needs are not going to disappear overnight. Knowing this, the most important resource we have as Tufts students is each other, it might sound corny, but in the face of an incompetent or unwilling administration, networks of support built outside of the system, among peers, trusted faculty, community members, and off-campus mental health professionals, can serve as a safer, more humane recourse if you're struggling. And if you do end up going through the mental health leave or accommodations process, know your rights. You're entitled to non-punitive, non-discriminatory help. Organizations like the Bazelon Center for Mental Health Law or Disability Rights Advocates might be a good resource for consultation or just more information. That's it for this episode of A Blight on the Hill. Thanks to Olivia Carl for taking a long drive to share her difficult story. We're truly appreciative. And thanks to CMHS Director Julie Ross for her insight. Additionally, we want to express our gratitude to the students who submitted their own experiences with mental health leave and accommodations. Whether or not your story was shared on the podcast, your contributions were illuminating, and your stories have really stuck with us. 
We'll have more content out next semester, so stay tuned for more deep dives into the unseen structural problems at Tufts. There's a lot more dirt where that came from. Until then, I'm Hannah Kahn. And I'm Liam Knox. Thanks for listening. And take care of yourselves.